Companion Podcast, the home of movies that are off, under, and ahead of the cinematic radar. My name is Chris. I am your host, joined as ever with my co-host, Andrew. Hello. Good evening. How are you doing today? Yeah, well, yeah. Well, well, strap yourself in, kids, because we got a big one today. This is one of my top ten favorite movies of all time, done by one of my favorite directors of all time. Written by one of, if you're listening to this, maybe, possibly, one of your favorite directors of all time. Mm -hmm. But before we dive into True Romance, uh, I just want to quickly mention that we are now available on Newsly at at newsly.me. And the uh, link for Newsly is in the episode description. You can use our promo code C-O-L-T-F-1-L-M. That's Cult Film. Drop the I, pop in a one, get a month free of Newsly's premium services. Newsly is an audio app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics of the web at any given moment and then reads them to you in a natural human voice. For the first time in the history of the internet, the entire web becomes listenable. You browse articles from topics that you choose, stop scrolling, start listening. You can follow any topic as specific as you like from sports, science, to Bitcoin, and we'll find the latest articles and then read them to you. Plus, they have podcasts. Our show, The Cold Film Companion, is there, and they have podcasts from over 50 different countries. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me or from the link in the description. Use the promo code COTF1LM and get a month free premium subscription. So today, we are, like I said, talking about one of my favorite movies of all time, True Romance, directed by one of my favorite directors of all time, Tony Scott. If the name Tony Scott doesn't ring a bell with you for whatever reason, um, I could... Almost guarantee, almost guarantee, 99% sure that you have seen a Tony Scott movie. And the easy one, which I I laid on Andrew earlier, um, he's probably best known for directing Top Gun. I had no idea. So Who knew? He got his start uh, directing The Hunger with David Bowie. He directed The Hunger? Yeah, that was his first movie. What? Yeah. Whoa. That's a movie movie. I mean, that's right. kind of cinema, that movie. I mean, well, I mean, not that my... his other work isn't, but I mean, that's kind of, it's almost like an art house flick. It is. Yeah. Um, Tony Scott is the younger brother, of course, of Ridley Scott, who is, uh, I believe, an Academy Award winning director. He, oh, he's got to be. He, I would imagine. I think he's he, definitely Gladi- top Hollywood brass. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, Gladiator, that's why he did Gladiator. He did Gladiator. He did Alien. Alien. Yeah. Um, most recently, he's done something like, the, uh, I believe it's The Martian. He returned to Alien with Alien Covenant. These two, they are my favorite 
brothers that don't co-direct together. So, like, that excludes the Coen brothers who direct movies together. But okay. uh, uh, the Scott brothers, for my money, just uh, this this family is just bursting with artistic energy and quality cinema. And we are talking about a movie that kind of bombed at the box office, but uh, it has a cult following. Did it? Two Romance bombed? Uh, well, well, I'll jump ahead, but the budget for True Romance was about $12.5 million and grossed $12.6 million at the box office. <laughs> so okay. that, I would I would say, is probably... A disappointment at the yeah. very least, but at least it recouped. <laughs> you know, you'd have to talk to the, the higher-ups at Warner Brothers whether or not, like, they... Uh, they they didn't make any money off mm, it. Not initially, at least. I don't not know. initially. In, in uh, video rentals, maybe, afterwards. So let's address the elephant in the room. What? The screenwriter for this movie. Yeah, right. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, this is Quentin Tarantino. His first uh, movie that he wrote he also did natural born killers he also wrote and directed reservoir dogs all three of these movies came out around the same time we've been trying to pinpoint which came out first second and third and it's not very easy to pinpoint so but it was definitely well i can tell you which this was tarantino's time yeah Yeah. i could tell well the order that the movies came out was reservoir reservoir dogs came out first true romance came out next then natural born killers Mm. So Okay. So True Romance was sandwiched in between the two and Reservoir Dogs had already come out when True Romance came out. Yes, but okay. I I like but, I, we were discussing well, Yeah, we don't know what was shot first and released later. Uh because something like True Romance and Natural Born Killers is gonna have a lot of post production. Right. Reservoir Dogs Which is, might have been shot in thir- third place and then released before the other two. So this is my theory. I think that well, the story is uh, Tarantino at the time had a job punching up scripts. He was he was basically a ghost screenwriter mm-hmm. or just kind of a, a script doctor. Mm-hmm. And w- he had punched up the script for one of Tony Scott's movie Crimson Tide. And through that relationship, uh, Tarantino gave Tony Scott two scripts. He gave him the script for Reservoir Dogs and he gave him the script for True Romance. And Tony Scott read both of them, he said, on a plane ride and loved both of them and wanted to do both of them. Contacted Tarantino. Tarantino said, you can do True Romance, you can have that, but Reservoir Dog, I'm doing. I'm I'm directing Reservoir Dogs. So the screenplay for Natural Born Killers, Tarantino is only credited with the story. And I think that what happened is that and again, I'm theorizing that Oliver Stone heavily rewrote his script. And I think that Tarantino kind of had the clout at at the point where Natural Born Killers was coming out. You know, Reservoir Dogs made a huge splash at Sundance and became like the thing, like the, the hit of Sundance for that year, uh, 92. That was like the movie that was being talked about. And then True Romance came out in 83. Uh, 93, I, I think that Tarantino kind of had the clout to get his uh, um, 
he just wanted the story by credit because he kind of. Well, now wait a minute, wait a minute. You're talking. You said true romance. You mean natural born killers? Correct. Okay. Yes. Um, so it was reservoir w- reservoir dogs and the natural born. Well, reservoir. Okay. Go right. ahead. <laughs> Continue with what you're saying, but you're talking about natural born killers. Correct. Okay. Thank you for. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, he basically just wanted a story by credit because I, the final product of natural born killers doesn't what he said doesn't really reflect his screenwriting talents okay um now he's the sole uh he's the sole screenwriter that's credited for true romance yes he is just him okay yes okay and contrary to his opinion of natural born killers kind of like disavowing it saying like i gave them the very bare bones and they kind of Oliver Stone and another screenwriter kind of took it and rewrote it and made it their own thing. He is very, very happy with the true romance okay. the um, adaptation. Okay. Basically, he the only changes to the script were initially, um, a la Tarantino at the time, it was a non-linear narrative. So Wow. So they they made it chronological. Tony Scott streamlined it, made it chronological. Wow. And the ending was changed. Yep. And we saw the alternate ending. We just watched it for the for the listeners. Um so we'll we can talk about that. But first, do you need to continue on this vein because I want to since we're talking about script, I want to talk about the original script and tell me when the it's a good time to do that. Uh let's quickly just bang out the technical aspects Go for it. and talk about the cast because my god it would probably be easier to talk about the people that aren't in this movie than the ones that are <laughs> um so true romance directed by tony scott written by quentin tarantino produced by samuel hadida um steve perry and bill unger uh hadida or hadida apologies for butchering your name has worked um with with tony scott um since then and I believe previous to the cinematography was done by Jeffrey L. Kimball who had shot uh, uh, many of Tony Scott's previous movies I think this was the last time they worked together and when we kind of talk about Tony Scott in general I do want to talk about his change of his style uh, early career versus later career and I think that has a great deal to do with his cinematographer and the editor um true romance was edited by michael tronick and christian wagner the music was done by hans zimmer and it has this very iconic xylophone kind of riff that go- that plays a lot in the scenes it that kind is- of quirky and bouncy and it's 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 in very romantic scenes uh very poignant scenes yeah it's um it's a nod to the movie badlands Okay, which uh, I haven't seen. It, okay. Which is about, I, I think it's Sis, Sissy mm-hmm. Spacek and mm-hmm. the elder... Sheen. Yeah. Martin. Martin Sheen mm-hmm. as a, a lovers on a kind of a cross-country journey that ends up being kind of violent. Okay. Um, so is, is it lift, it, it's not the same music, but it's no, inspired it's, from it. So there's quirky little, yeah. mus- little xylophone... <laughs> in Badlands, okay. So they kind of, yeah. So um, Tony Scott talked to um, to Hans Zimmer and, and and said, "This is the kind of this is I I want to 
give an homage to um, to Badlands and. So it's Hans Zimmer who who did the score for True Romance. Correct. You just said that. Okay. Well, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. Go so, um, yeah, Tony Scott is oh, has always kind of surrounded himself with um, very very talented people, and True Romance is no different. Um, True Romance was released September tenth, nineteen ninety three, and like I said, didn't fare too well at the box office, and. Um, and at the time, it was it was they were, people were kind of saying that this was like the um, Tony Scott's career was kind of on the decline at this point. It's okay. since um, retrospectively been uh, like had a reevaluation. Although he did it was so much after, yeah. Did um, he? What did he do after? Um, do you know? If not, that's fine. I, I the late '90s Tony Scott. I'm not all that familiar with the 2000s Tony Scott. Did Man on Fire, Domino, Unstoppable, uh, Deja Vu, and again I haven't seen any of these flicks. And so you want to talk about how that's different from his early career, his 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 style. So early Tony Scott, like I said, is um he started out with The Hunger. Then he made he made it big with Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Then he did Days of Thunder. Oh, <laughs> I remember Days of Thunder. All right. And yeah. then he did uh, Revenge, okay, um, which is a great Kevin Costner movie, and is actually the movie that was the Tony Scott movie that kind of cemented it for Tarantino that he, Tony Scott was the right one to do one of his scripts. Okay. Um, and prior to True Romance, he had just done The Last Boy Scout, which, um, we might eventually cover on this show, because it's got a cult following, but, yeah, um, those movies didn't do too well at the box office. Some of them fared better with critics than others. True Romance has since gone on to become arguably one of the the best movies of the 90s in terms of critical in critic size anyway well it's interesting I saw I'm pretty sure I saw True Romance in the theaters when it came out Uh, and it was my favorite movie for quite a while in the 90s I thought it was um, I thought it was really really good and I'd never seen anything like it so yeah I um, I remember I remember when all of this happened when I saw Natural Born Killers in the theater I saw Reservoir Dogs in the theater. So, I mean, I was an active moviegoer when all of this was happening. So, I was too young to see these in the theaters. Mm -hmm. So, I um, came across these on videos Mm -hmm. or, um, yeah, Yeah. VHS at the time. Right. Um, And I don't remember when I came across True Romance... But it was one of those movies that once I had finished watching it and taking it in for that first time, it's a movie that I was just like, I can't wait to watch this again. Which doesn't happen to me very often with movies. So I knew that it was kind of being... And now, like I said, it's in my top ten. Like, if I had a top ten movie Desert Island list, this would be in there, the Mm -hmm. top ten. Would it make the top five? I don't think so, but it would definitely make the top ten. Um... 
I want to get into style. I want to get into script. You choose which direction to go. So let's start with make script. notes. Um, let's start script um, because yes. style um, kind of is the, the script is the foundation for the movie. So let's talk script okay. first, and then we'll talk exterior okay. of style afterwards. All right. All right. Oh, you wanted to talk to <laughs> You were going to talk in the script. <laughs> okay, so first of all, uh, the script is based on some, something that Tarantino had written that included true, rom- true romance and natural-born killers. It was all Correct. part of one movie, and it's, and it's like a Bonnie and... It's a Bonnie and Clyde story, both of them. Yes. Are, is a Bonnie, are Bonnie and Clyde stories. And... Uh, at one point, after the natural-born killers part of the script of the movie, which was going to be the first half, right? They go to confront and I don't know, attack and kill the director who's made a movie out of their story. Correct. And that's what the true true romance version would have been. Right. Okay. So to flesh this out a little and I think, more, right? It was called Open Road. It was I called believe. the Open Road, which began as a fifty-page script by. Roger Avery, who is a close friend, and um, they, Roger Avery worked at the same video store as Tarantino, so they were they were really good friends. What? That's weird. Okay. And um, just a little side note: yeah. uh, Roger Avery won the Academy Award along with Tarantino for the script for Pulp Fiction. They collaborated. So, on yeah. That. Okay. So, um, but Roger Avery. Um, eventually, we'll cover a Roger Avery movie. He's um, he's done a, a couple. Uh, cult movies. They both came from the same video store and yeah. turned into these prominent directors? Alright, go on. Um, well, yeah, Roger Avery prominent, not so much. Uh, yeah, but uh, still. Yeah, well, mm, mm, DOI manslaughter that we don't want to really Oh, jeez. Yeah, so well, I mean, Matthew Broderick even has one of those. Uh, go on. Yeah, let's uh, let's not talk about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's talk about we're trying. The... We're trying to avoid the dark. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're trying, trying to avoid the darkness. We're this try- episode. We're trying to even be though up- we're doing true romance. I Actually, mean, true romance is for all of its violence. It's not necessarily that dark. No, it's not. It's actually and, um, kind of a fantasy and a fairy tale. And it's a love story. It is, a love and, story. and and that's something that it will. Um, I have an interesting quote from Tarantino that I will read later on. But um, yes, yeah, so the open road was about an odd couple relationship, about an uptight businessman, an out-of-control hitchhiker, and um, he had trouble finishing it, so he gave it to his um, fellow video archives clerk, Tarantino, to give it a shot. Yeah, that's the video store they worked at together. And after several weeks, Quentin handed him over a 500-handwritten page of what Avery described as the Bible of pop culture. <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> and we know that Tarantino is known for this. He can interject pop culture uh, like a huge uh, circumference of pop culture in his in his scripts and movies. So, yeah, before we get too much into that, I'll just talk briefly about um, <laughs> so, the, the Crimson Tide movie, you can tell the uh, there's one scene in particular that you were just like this is Tarantino all over it because Crimson Tide is a very intense like sub nuclear war movie right and there's this one scene where two of the people on the sub all of a sudden just start talking about the Silver Surfer Marvel's comic book character yeah that's Tarantino and you're just like oh yeah yep, yep. there, there, there he is <laughs> um 
Well, what's the deal in Reservoir Dogs? Don't they talk about Madonna at one point at a table? Like a what, virgin, right? Yeah, and they, that's what made Tarantino and Madonna friends for a while. Yeah, he kind of deconstructs Madonna. So, for better or for worse, the Bible of pop culture. Um, so, the final script was a combination of this movie and uh, Natural Born Killers. Uh, so, reportedly, it follows Quentin's original Natural Born Killers script until after the prison riot. After escaping, Mickey and Mallory decide to find and kill the screenwriter who wrote the glitzy Hollywood movie about their exploits. The writer goes on the run, and True Romance was the movie he writes while trying to evade the two psychotic killers. <laughs> it was told in trademark Tarantino chapter fashion out of chronicle, chronological order, and when it became obvious that this was way too big to sell... They split the stories into two separate movies. Okay, similar to Kill Bill, even though Kill Bill is the same premise. Right. Yeah. Um, I kind of say that I, as much as I love True Romance, I would kind of love to see this movie, too. Because um, I have ish. Well... The movie, the original... This, yeah, I would the, like to yeah. see this epic. Sure. Maybe like if HBO did like a ten-part, you sure. know, miniseries of it. But, um... So it's very interesting to me because Tarantino has kind of disowned his involvement in Natural Born Killers to the point where I can't help but think that Mickey and Mallory would, if um, after the prison riot, the the glitzy Hollywood screenwriter or director that they would go after would be Oliver Stone himself because <laughs> for as rough and as uh, gritty as some of that movie is it's very much a Hollywood movie it is it's very Hollywood it is well, you could say that about True Romance absolutely yeah yeah. Um, but I think that there's a difference in style with the way that True Romance is handled other than the almost cartoonish I mean there's literally cartoons not in Natural Born Killers yeah right there, there, there right, is some right. There's some imagery there. That's. I mean, one that scene. I remember that scene being played as a sitcom with uh, Mallory and her. It's got parents, a laugh track. And, and, and Rodney, Rodney Dangerfield yeah. is the father, and it's just twisted, twisted, twisted. And there's different um, camera filters, different mm -hmm. kinds of. Uh, it. Some of it's digital. Some of it's um, mm. film. Sixteen millimeter. Oh, yeah, it's it's very. It's a chaotic style. It is. It which is, is. It's a very chaotic movie, obviously. It is, and this. Well, since we're talking about style, early Tony Scott is very much what we saw with True Romance. Later Tony Scott is, I would say, acid house cinematography, and stripped down. Almost grinder, uh, not gr grind, no, 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 grind no. House, excuse not me. grindhouse, acid house, like hyperactive, like a million different cuts in a second. Oh wow! All over the place. Wow! Okay. All of a sudden, you're seeing once the, the scene shot in black and white, and then it's over here, and it's very, very hyper. It's a very heightened sense of realism that he gives these movies. Okay. And it's rapid editing, whereas something like True Romance and Top Gun and The Hunger, the scenes kind of have time to breathe, 
And for better or for worse, sometimes it works with the movie. Something like Domino kind of benefits. Uh, yeah, so Domino is a later Tony Scott movie. Um, benefits from that style, style of filmmaking, but that's not something that he had really dipped his toes into yet. True Romance is very much just kind of shot the way that a movie is kind of, I guess, normally shot. I mean, not normally, but generally shot. There's nothing... Avant-garde. No, there's no avant-garde. There's no like weird Dutch angles. Okay. Um, but Tony Scott, again, is a very, very visually based director. And he talks about how each morning he wakes up at four in the morning to do two hours of storyboarding. Mm. He for the day for the day. Okay, like um, it's he goes instead. You know, a lot of directors. Well, this is the shot list for the day, and he said that oftentimes when people are handed the shot list, it just kind of gets okay. Well, I'll just tack this over here and look at it when I need to. He goes, but if a storyboard and everything, and I give everyone like a cartoon, a little graphic novel to kind of watch, like he. Not only does it mean that he has to do less talking and explaining to people because he's giving them like a visual template template mm -hmm. to kind of digest and be like, okay, mm -hmm. I get like this is the way I need that. You know, the cinematographer knows, okay, this is the way that this scene needs to be lighted. This is like the kind of this is the camera angle I need to do all that kind of stuff. Um, I can't imagine some of the movies that he's done later in his career being storyboarded because like I said this these would be thousands of drawings because the the edits are so boom 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 yeah. boom 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 yeah um but you know that's that's his later movies we're talking about true romance um the style is is incredible um it's it's first of all <laughs> I'm sorry to keep mentioning musicals and I, I think at one point you actually said that you consider musicals subpar. When we actually do a musical, we can get into that more. But the thing about True Romance and Natural Born Killers is I feel like they could be musicals. There's actually a dance that Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis do after they kill in Natural Born Killers with music and everything, and the whole set changes and there's a spotlight on them. Yes. So, I mean, that just shows you the type of hyper-reality we're dealing with with both of these scripts. Sure. And the, and the subsequent movies. Right. True Romance is based more... Um, in a kind of a reality, so to speak, a basic reality, so to speak, but it's very, very, very stylized, and it's a hyper reality that they're existing in. And I, it, I do think it's a fairy tale. There's a, there's there what there is a lot of suspension of disbelief I have to do with true romance, just to go along with it, especially in the second half. Sure. Yeah, I mean, especially with the scene which we'll get into between uh, Patricia Arquette and James Gandolfini. Um, she she would be she would be visibly a mess after that, and she's not. It seems like she there's no scarring or anything. Yeah, that's yeah. The, probably the most notorious. Well, there's two. There are two scenes that people really kind of latch onto in this movie, and that's one of them. And the other one is uh, we, the best w screenwriting yes of Quentin Tarantino's entire career. <laughs> uh, this is not us saying this. This is from the man himself. And if you know the scene, you know the scene. Okay. Uh, but let's first, so, I mean, yeah. we should probably bring up the cast. Oh, yes. Let's uh, do because it. this cast is top to bottom, like, 
my God. Mm-hmm. It goes on and on and on. It's, it's like it's an all-star cast. It's like '90s hit list of all the best. Well, unfortunately, there's not a lot of female presence. Uh, Patricia Arquette carries this movie. I think it's very much the rest are her dudes. story. Yeah, You're right. The it rest is. are dudes. Wow. So we've got Clarence, who is played by um, by Christian Slater. Patricia Arquette plays Alabama. Uh, Dennis Hopper plays Clifford, who is Clarence's father. We've got Val Kilmer credited as mentor, and he's actually Elvis. Elvis. But we'll get into yes. the reasons for why he's called Mentor and not Elvis for that. Uh, Drexel is played by Oldman, Gary Oldman, who plays basically like, it's he plays Rasta dude. A Rasta dude, but a white guy Rasta dude, right? So he was on the set of Romeo is Bleeding. Mm-hmm, yep. And they were talking about, him and Tony Scott were talking about the character, and Tony Scott gave him this description. Gary Oldman said, no, this is the character, and told Tony Scott about this this white man, clearly very white, who thought he was Jamaican and just like acted Jamaican. Um, I guess now we would call this cultural appropriation, but for better or for worse, we basically have one of my favorite characters in this movie. Uh, but I could say that about so many people because <laughs> this movie, my God. And he considers it his favorite role. This and uh, his role in JFK. These, those are his two favorites. Gotcha. Gary Oak. Okay. Yeah. We have we also have Brad Pitt playing um, Floyd, who is roommates with Michael Rapaport, who plays Dick Ritchie. Um, Floyd is a major, major stoner, and Brad Pitt has a blast. He has a field day with this role. Yep. You can tell. Um, so, and the, the second scene that we talk about that we're going to get into, uh, there's a mafioso... Kingpin named Don Vincent Vincenzo. Vincent Don Vincenzo. Thank you. Uh, played by Christopher Walken. Oh, that's kind of. It's not all you need to know, but that's that's a good starting point. You know where this it's going if it's going to be Christopher Walken. Uh, and then we've got Bronson Pinchot as Blitzer, who is helping them, helping Clarence in Alabama sell their huge amount of cocaine that that they have. Uh, acquired, <laughs> yes. and I think that's it for the basic cast. And there's more. There are more uh, cameos and cameos and cameos in yeah. this movie. So it's it's just a it's a yeah. So signs of this is what I will say. Signs of uh, of a Tarantino movie is kind of a great cast. Mm-hmm. You know, and a fun you, cast. Like a you real, and I have just like wow, get all these people together. Sure, I'm in. I want to see this. Yeah. yeah. So, um, there's something that we should probably tell you, listeners. Me and Andrew are not the biggest fans of Quentin Tarantino. Well, you had to take it there. Wow. Well, there's no need to even say that. Um, but I mean, it's it's yeah. I mean, <laughs> you're just doing that to stir the shit pot. Uh, right. But we're, we're that get, being we're said, hate mail for that. That being said, his movies are always perfectly cast. Do I like... I... Most of this... I will watch anything by Tarantino. That's the thing. Will you? Absolutely. That's I've seen how all, I, Well, that's how I was in the 90s. That's how I was in the 90s. I've and seen I, all I his movies. I, I, saw, I saw all of his movies then. Right. That came out. Uh, and then I finally realized I didn't like them. <laughs> so I stopped. But, but no. I mean, that being said, both of us, you and I, adore... 
true romance. We just right? one of one of the main reasons we adore it so much is because of its screenplay, and it's it's a genius screenplay. So before you get angry, people, I know you're some of you are kind of gritting your teeth. You might have already turned off the podcast. <laughs> um, I don't hate Tar- Quentin Tarantino's movies. I don't. I think they're brilliantly cast, and not only that, he's got a great eye for visual and an even greater ear for dialogue. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I love about True Romance, mm-hmm. is that we get that classic mm-hmm. Tarantino dialogue, mm-hmm. and I would say it's purest form, because when he broke big with... Um, Reservoir Dogs, and then with Pulp Fiction, everyone, all of a sudden, everyone started to try to write... Like Tarantino. Yeah. yeah. And you know what's interesting? The One of the Tarantino movies that I actually do like... Um, Jackie Brown? Yeah. Love Jackie Brown. I mean, Brown. And, the, and that is very dialogue-driven, and it's very stripped down in terms of uh, aesthetics. So, here's the... <laughs> yeah. You know what? I'm not even going to say it. Okay, fine. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you after. Remind me to tell you <laughs> Jackie Brown after. A, okay, afterwards. Okay, but I, no, have, I have to also mention I was telling I was telling Chris that during the time uh, of Pulp Fiction and all the other early Tarantino movies, I had a roommate who was the spitting image of Tarantino. So I felt like I couldn't get away from him. <laughs> He's <laughs> everywhere. Everywhere. Omnipresent. I, omniscient. Omniscient. Yeah. <laughs> um, I Ubiquitous. Lo- yes. So I probably, my two favorite Quentin Tarantino movies are probably like the least, well. Popular. Yeah. Amongst the Tarantino kind of heads. Jackie um, Brown. Love Jackie Brown. Yeah. Um and I love Death Proof and okay I don't think I oh 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 yeah I'm not I mean that's with Kurt Russell right, right. that yeah, yeah that scene oh jeez jeez yeah that's so okay I'm that, glad I'm what, glad you what that it. says well what that says about me and, <laughs> and, my, and, and my emotional and mental health I I I don't know but um so don't hate Tarantino. Love his screenplays. I love True Romance. Like I said, it's one of my top ten movies. I love From Dust Till Dawn. Sure, that, that's that fun. Is, that's a that is such a fun movie. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But what I particularly like about True Romance is that like we have the, like these are the roots of what Tarantino writing would become. Mm-hmm. We've got the pop culture references. Mm-hmm. We've got the the quirky little the humor in, infused in all the extreme violence, right? And um, <laughs> I think it's one of the funnier things that. So this came out in '93. This was written in the '80s, mid to late '80s. So some of it wasn't updated. So there's one scene at the diner where they're talking about. Like he's Clarence is asking Alabama, like, who's your favorite movie star? And she says Burt Reynolds. <laughs> Not the response you'd probably get from a girl in nineteen ninety three. Right. Right. And then what's the whole T J Hooker thing? Oh, he's uh, obvious the show's never mentioned, but um Dick Ritchie is obviously auditioning for T J Hooker. 
because um, they talk about William Shatner on a cop car, so it's got to be T.J. Hooker. And it, it had already stopped running by that time? I would imagine I so. so, yeah. I think That's, so. So, like, they never bothered to update it. <laughs> I know, which, which kind of adds to it, though. It does. Kind of, the, that kind of retro... I mean, to hear... To hear Patricia Arquette saying that her favorite movie star is Burt Reynolds, I mean, that's kind of a gas. And so, leave it in. You're right, yeah, yeah. Don't update that. That's that's uh, very amusing. So, and, and I think that's why, of his adapted screenplays, uh, you know, he speaks so highly of true romance. Tarantino likes... He said that initially... Um, he, he did take umbrage with the fact that that Clarence that Tony Tony Scott wanted Clarence to live at the end of the movie. Okay, and we as I said we just watched the alternate ending and in some ways I prefer the alternate ending where he does die. I did I did like that. Um, it changes everything mm-hmm. to have the ending where they're on the beach in Mexico with their child. Mm-hmm. Um, that child is actually in real life was Rosanna Arquette. Uh, Patricia Arquette's um, son. Oh, okay. Very good. Incidentally, I know that they wanted Drew Barrymore for her role, but yes. Drew Barrymore was unavailable. That yep. would have been interesting to see her do I mean she was she was the bad girl of she was the bad girl it girl right. of that time. Yes, she doing was doing one movie after another. So, she even did the Amy Fisher story for T V. Did she? She did. Oh jeez. Yep. Joey Butterfuga. Yep. You know, yep. Let's not let's never speak of him again. <laughs> <laughs> um but so the uh, the ending um, Fight the real enemy. Do you remember? No, no, you're too young to remember. That was on SNL. On SNL Sinead O'Connor. Oh jeez. Do I really want to go there? You might no, want to edit she this out. Rips she, up the Pope. Right. Man. So the next the next week Joe the, Pesci ripped up his her picture. The next week Madonna was on as a musical guest and okay. she took she she put up a picture of Joey Buttafuoco and said fight the real enemy and ripped it up. Oh, but then also Joe Pesci rip up a picture of Sinead O'Connor on Probably, Saturday Night but Lord? I mean I remember this. It was oh. the ex- exactly the following week yeah. of Sinead O'Connor, so I don't know when Joe Pesci did that. Oh. Yeah. Maybe Where, the next week, maybe it just went on. Who knows? Yeah, they <laughs> yeah. rip them all up. <laughs> yeah. Um so Tarantino uh, had took did take umbrage with having Clarence live. This was a, 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 a some people think that it was a studio decision to have Clarence live. It was not. It was Tony Scott's, and he. So it continues the fairy tale aspect of the movie to have it end that way, and it's then a satisfying love story. Yeah, I found more satisfaction. I think in him having him die at the end only because I thought that that's how it should end. I just kind of instinctually thought that. But to have it, you know, you know, to have them be together and have escaped, that's it plays out the fantasy that is true romance. It does. Yeah. And ba- Tony what Tony Scott said was after the course of making this movie, I fell in love with these two characters and I did not want them to die. Well, okay, but I mean, all right. Tar- so that Tarantino kind of came around to it, and he said, "Okay, you know, I I get what you're doing." And and basically, what he said was, for the way that Tony shot True Romance, that ending fit better. He said that, like, if I had directed True Romance, the movie would have obviously would have been very different, and Clarence would have died at the end. Yeah. So now. 
okay, this is a good this is a good time to bring up the roller coaster scene. Right. So it's a scene with um, with our leads and with Michael Rapaport and Bronson Pinchot, um, and they're trying to figure out how to sell the Coke to a big time Hollywood director, and that and Bronson Pinchot is the is the contact basically. Yes. So this scene was originally written to take place in a zoo. Right. And it was Tony Scott's idea, am yes. I correct, to make it on a roller coaster instead? Yes. Now this pretty much sums up true romance as a movie as a whole. Like it's anything that has been pedestrian has been replaced with something that is bombastic and, you know, um, it's, you know, shot into the stratosphere. <laughs> what? So, so, yeah. So, yeah. So the roller, so the, the roller coaster is a metaphor basically for how, what Tony Scott did with this screenplay. Right. I mean, he took this Tarantino brilliant screenplay and then turned it into a roller coaster ride. Yes. It's and it's and it's it's just it's like a buffet of a flick. You know, you're going into it and it's just like, "Wow, you've got this great material and then you've got this great production value that has been thrown on top of it." The thing is in the spin cycle. The movie is in a spin cycle and it flies. It flies right by. And it, and I'm always talking about the colors in movies, but I mean the colors in this it's almost like they shot it in Technicolor or something. It's so vibrant. Yes. So many scenes, I think a lot of scenes that were inside were taken outside, too, if I'm correct. Um, I think I read that somewhere. I think it was the other way around. Well, maybe it was both, but there, when they go outside, there are there are a lot of scenes inside rooms. Because, well, but when they go outside, that sun, you notice that, especially they leave Detroit and they go to L.A. And once they're in L.A., it's all about the sunshine when they're outside. It's really incredible. So beautiful. Before Tony Scott came on board, William Lustig, who's best probably best known for doing some uh, Maniac, Maniac Cop, was kind of like a B movie horror director. Um, was um, there were discussions of him directing True Romance, and the the way that he tackled the script is he took everything outside. There were like okay. no scenes inside. Okay. And like he kind of like decreed to the the guy rewriting the script was like if you go inside you die. Yeah, right. Okay, you read the same thing I read. Yeah. So that was the deal. So and to, so it, they were able they put it back inside. Yeah. Tony Scott pretty much the, the, according to both uh Tony and um Tarantino it, it, it's pretty much um, the way it was written was written. Okay, but like you said, with a roller coaster, Tony Scott would add these things. Mm-hmm. Another scene that um, is kind of made by its setting is the um, the scene after they have sex. She's outside, but she's on like a billboard on a billboard. That's what I think of when I think of a musical. I I, rem- I remember. Excuse me. <laughs> these little outbursts. I remember seeing it in the theater and seeing them at that billboard and thinking, wow, this is like a musical. They could start singing to each other. So originally that was just... But instead they're doing Quentin Tarantino dialogue, which is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. So originally that scene wasn't like... It didn't really have any setting. It was probably going to take place in Clarence's apartment, just like them talking. Okay. But Tony Scott said he was like, I've just done um, a commercial for Marlboro, or I've been working with Marlboro to design one of their billboards. And he's like, "This, I, I, I want to do this scene outside on top of a billboard. It's so cool. 
So it's like, so cool. That's what I. That's it's why. So cool. Um, there's scenes like that. I mean, when I say musicals, there are scenes like that in Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. There's scenes like that in Moulin Rouge, out, out on a billboard, hanging out. Right. Yeah. So like, th- this is just a great, brilliant script from Mr. Tarantino, and just Tony Scott at the height of his creative prowess of just recognizing what a great script and then just adding he you know he it just, all enhances the script it does all of it he's he's working to goes, surface the script yeah. and like but he takes it to this other extreme and it all serves the script so um the only thing that i would say that tarantino probably could have done better with this movie than tony scott did is not not the score by Hans Zimmer, but some of the m- songs played in this movie are very at too. They're too popular for a Tarantino movie. Mm. You know, he's mm-hmm. ki- he's always getting these mm-hmm. weird, obscure yeah. songs from all over the place. Yeah, and like in Reservoir Dogs, that right? Soundtrack was a hit. Yeah, uh huh. But in True Romance, though, I mean, the one song in particular is this Aerosmith song, Take Me to the Other Side, when they're driving into California. <laughs> I just don't like it. <laughs> Tarantino never would have let that fly. <laughs> and, like, that's like that's the only thing, like, I was like, you know what? Maybe you should have kept him on as screenwriter. And also, he actually, he did have notes in his script of what songs should be played. Oh. And they were virtually all... Except Scrapped. for one, one was rem- was retained. Well, do you know what it was? I can find out in a second, All but right. I could to maybe have kept him on as kind of like a consultant, just a music consultant. Yeah. Be like, well, the studio wants Aerosmith. He's like, no, you don't want Aerosmith in this. <laughs> no, you, he would. You, you know what he would say? He would say Chris doesn't want Aerosmith in this. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. And they would say, and Tony Scott would be like, okay, got it. Right. <laughs> Maybe I'm the only one that doesn't like the Aerosmith song. It could be worse. It could be Air Supply. <laughs> Although, I could see Tarantino pulling up some obscure Actually, Air right, Supply right, song. <laughs> then, so, like, yeah, that's the only thing with this movie. And I love Soundgarden. I love the song Outshined. But that's the song that's playing, the very heavy song that's playing um, when you got F- Floyd kind of just smoking up and all these <laughs> all the, the the mafia show up with all these guns and stuff it's a very heavy song it's just very it's very and they're not pop because these are rock groups but it's just kind of what popular music was at the time yeah whereas like i said tarantino kind of throws yeah that out he yeah. gets he gets well, the weird kind of retro kind of stuff. But I mean, in this in this respect, it's kind of like grounding. It's still grounding the movie in a very mainstream pop culture True. aesthetic. You know, yeah, I use that word so much. But yeah, it is. It's kind of like okay, those who don't know these obscure songs and listen to these songs who go to see the movie can viscerally relate. You know, sure, more. I mean, that's one of the things that they said that. Um, the song that I just mentioned, um, Outshined by Soundgarden, um, was only put in as a, as a temp song, but it did so well at preview audiences that like the, the studio had to cough up all this money to get the rights so oh, that wow. they could actually use the song. Oh, okay. So, you know, there's, a, there's, there's just a lot going on. Um, but the score 
I love. Mm-hmm. And I really love that little xylophone thing. Mm-hmm. It like, in, in other movies, I might maybe thought this is a little too cheesy. This is a little too on the nose for me. It works for this movie mm-hmm. because like, it's only played when it's these when it's just Clarence and Alabama together. Okay. The only time you hear I, it I is think so. That. I'm okay. pretty sure. I'm okay. pretty sure the only time that we hear it is just so like their scenes together. It's their, it's their music. It's like their yeah. That's it's like so their cool. theme. Yeah. Um. So, interesting kind of like random facts about this movie. Um, well, now, wait a minute. Are we there already? We haven't even dissected, like, the scenes so much. Oh. The different scenes. Uh, here I am putting the cart way before the horse. <laughs> let's talk so, about the let's talk Arquette about- uh, Gandolfini scene. Ooh. So oh, we, took, we definitely need to talk about that scene. And, and the, we'll get to it. Okay. Uh, so that took three days to film, and in this extended cut that we saw, I'll bet uh, we saw more of that than the theatrical release. Right. Uh, yeah. And it was... Um, it was... the What is it? The MPP... MPA. MPA had problems with it, not because of the, uh, the violence in and of itself, but because she fought back. They said she was too animalistic. Oh, for heaven's sakes. And if you've seen the scene and you know the scene, it's James Gandolfini. Yes, Tony Soprano himself. This was, I think, his first uh, feature role. Um, and he's a big guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was even big. I mean, he's not as big as he was as Tony Soprano, but still, he's a big guy in this. Mm-hmm. And he is just brutally beating. He's beating the shit out of her. Oh. Being, and it's and it's done in this role play kind of like daddy role play type of thing and there's the the d- dialogue is once again genius despite the atrocity of the of the actions uh but it's you know it's kind of like come to daddy type of thing well he he actually improvised the lines oh did he can you do that can you just turn around for me for oh, a little okay, bit okay okay cuz he comes in and he's sitting there with this shotgun he's like where's Clarence Where's our Coke? Yeah. And she's like, we don't have any Coke, but there's a Pepsi machine down the hallway. (laughs) And you're just like, do you really want to give smart ass? This guy is sitting there with a a shotgun. It's really cool. It's really, uh, it's, it's watching her act it is excellent. Yes. Because she's playing that dizzy blonde persona. But she knows the real deal. She knows what's going on. Right. And she knows she's very, very much in danger. Very much in danger. And then you have this prolonged scene of violence Mm -hmm. where he... He's smashing her through the the shower glass. The glass glass shower, yeah. That's right, which would have scarred her very, very much. Right. But I mean, you know, let's just go with it. Um, She's okay after that. But yeah, he's throwing her all over the place, smashing her head in. And over then, and over again. This is where Beating, you kind doesn't of doesn't he punch her? Doesn't he? Just, oh, yeah. Repeatedly. I mean, but I mean, doesn't he sit on her and like yep. punch her face? Yeah. Yeah, but throughout it all, like she's somehow has a sense of humor because there's a scene right after she uses the hairspray and lighter to kind of set him on fire. Mm-hmm. She starts laughing, and he's like, "What are you laughing at?" And he's like. You look ridiculous. Oh, and that sets him off. <laughs> yeah, he is. Yeah, he goes into third, fourth gear, fifth gear, sixth gear. He looks in the mirror and he's just like, oh, that's it with this girl. Yeah. And he's about to kill her. 
because he he's like you didn't leave the suitcase under the bed mm-hmm. he's like i can't believe i didn't look under the bed mm-hmm. as a viewer i'm going yeah why the fuck didn't you look under the bed mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean that's funny yes yeah, it is funny, funny kind of, like yeah. he kind of realizes like the number one place that people would hide a suitcase of money probably in a bed. hotel yeah um, cocaine he, yeah 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 um he's about to kill her and she just she's crawling like on her hands and knees completely bloodied and she's got a screwdriver and he's like oh you want to play you want to play with daddy he's like yeah you know I'll give you one shot one shot and she takes this screwdriver boom right into the foot (laughs) oh my god the pain oh oof and she's holding up the screwdriver, the bottle. It's a wine opener. Wine right, yeah, opener, right, yeah. Uh, at you know, at the beginning of the fight, and he's laughing at her and laughing at her um, before he starts really pummeling her. Um, and so it's it is amusing that she finally gets to use that. You know? Yeah. And yeah, yeah. So. How does he end up? dying how does he actually end up dying is that so she stabs his foot and then she does all this other stuff and then she torches him that's right yeah she, okay and he but burns he just collapses and I, burns to death she drops us i know she bra- brings up a statue and like breaks it over his yeah. head yeah i want to say it's a statue of elvis i'm not sure it reminds me of the scene in extremities where farrah fawcett fights back um what's his face from uh james russo James Russo. Okay. He, 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 it's, it's very similar. Yeah. How she finds stuff in the kitchen to use as weapons, weapons, and at one point she does spray him. I don't think she catches him on fire, but she sprays something that blinds him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's yeah. But if you're not a, a fan of man on woman violence, then this is not a scene you want to. Uh, well, unless you like revenge, because she does. She, she does, wins. She does win. Yeah, she does win. Um, it, but it's just kind of, it's a brutal scene. Oh and, yeah, um, yeah. So that's and I mean this most is, this is the, you know and I don't like I don't like this much violence in movies that I watch. But and True Romance has tons and tons of violence. But the fact that I can watch all of it and still have a what I, I consider to be a satisfying experience, movie going experience, is a testament to how well it's all handled. Right, because a lot of times it's almost like it's it is it's like a comic book. It is. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the first the first real violent scene we get is uh, we Drexel Drexel killing. So Samuel L. Jackson is like fifth build in this movie in the opening credits. That's hilarious. Uh, he has I like th- a tiny. I didn't even know it was him. You didn't even know it was him. He's on screen for like a minute and a half. Yeah, and his whole dialogue is about eating ass and eating pussy. And <laughs> like, That's right. He's like yeah. uh, he uses the N word, which. I'm not going to use, but that's basically his screen time is spent talking about how you get high enough you'll eat anything. So, and right. then he's gone, Go gone from our screens. Then he's gone from our screens. By Big Don until was, Pulp Fiction. And, yeah. So, so all right. Since we're talking about, um, uh, oh, I lost it. Since we're talking about not eating ass. <laughs> oh, the N word. Since we're talking about the N-word, why don't we segue into the other prominent scene of this film? Yeah, because he uses the N-word a lot. We're going to talk about Don Vincenzo. Mm. Yeah, and, uh, and Clifford, played by Christopher Walken and Dennis Hopper. 
Dennis Hopper as Clarence's father and uh, Walker as the kingpin who is coming to see Clifford to find out where Clarence and Alabama have gone. Because they have visited the father before taking off to Los Angeles. So we have the perfect tete-a-tete. Yes, we do, between the two of them. Yes. So, yeah, they're sitting across, well, they're sitting across from each other. Christopher Walken gets up and walks around a lot. Walking, walking. Walking. He's always walking. He's always walking. Always walking. And he's got his his henchmen around, you know, just kind of like surveilling the whole scene. Right. Uh, I don't really, I, I think you're... I think you should go into this. Because <laughs> it is brilliant, and I remember thinking it was brilliant when I first saw the movie. I don't even think that I could summarize how brilliant the scene is with just, like, I just tell people to watch the scene. So should it's, we leave it at that? It's so, it's such a perfect confrontation. It's so intense that... Like I, I can't do it justice here. T- talking about it, okay. I mean, it's just yeah. And the screen, the screenwriting is as Tarantino has said that this is his proudest moment as a screenwriter. Okay. Is this inter this exchange okay. between these two characters? Well, so Dennis Dennis Hopper knows. No matter what he says, whatever information he gives, Walken, or doesn't give Walken, he's gonna die. Yep. So, he asks for a last cigarette. He, he, he just asks for a cigarette. Yeah. It, we know that it's going to be his last. And he starts to tell uh, Walken about... He, start, he starts to tell Don Vincenzo about the... Uh, Sicilians. The Sicilians and their, their uh, genetic history. Yeah. Their genetic history. I guess we're going to leave it at that. Um, there, we're we're not going. The N word is used. Yeah, <laughs> and so, I think we can probably just leave it at that. The only we thing, can just, but but it is historically accurate, and that's what histor- packs the wallop. Yes, that's what really, really, really packs the wallop. And uh, the only other thing that we should mention, like like I said, a scene that that is this brilliant, and I don't use that term loosely um, as. Tarantino himself has said that this is his finest piece of screenwriting. It the, just this whole exchange between these two is so brilliant, and I just want to, um, like I said, I can't do the scene justice, so I just want to add a little bit of background. Um, this scene was shot over two days. It's basically a two shot. What a two shot is is we got two characters across from each other. And you would shoot coverage for one day on the one person and then coverage for the other day on the second person involved. Yeah, and if you've ever been on a set, it is a big production. They have to undo everything they've done on one side of the room and put it on the other side of the room and then tinker with it until it's right. Lighting, sound, all of that. Which, in a movie like this, would take about four hours. Mm -hmm. So the first day, they had it all set up to shoot um, Christopher Walken first. And they had it all set up, and Tony Scott was going, he was doing his storyboards, he was getting ready to shoot the scene, and Christopher Walken asked him to, um, he implored him to please shoot Dennis's scene first. So he could tinker around with it. Which is a smart move. It was. He carries that scene. He 
does. Yeah. And Dennis Hopper was like, I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's like, yeah, just shit. So, um, and then Tony Scott just was reflecting on it, saying that, you know, he was, you know, he's filming Dennis's side of the, the conversation, but the whole time he's also looking at, at Christopher Walken, who's there acting alongside him. And he, he's just like, I could see the, 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 the gears turning mm. in his head. He was just formulating this character. Mm-hmm. Um, he just needed, to, he, you know, because that's the only scene that Christopher Walken has in this movie. Mm-hmm. So, like, to mm-hmm. to come across, to give this, like, you could write a backstory about this character just based on this one scene. Like, mm-hmm. you kind of know, like, the kind of stuff that this guy's been through. Yeah, like, he'd have a spinoff of his of, own. Um, he refers to himself as, like, the Antichrist. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, the second day they shot Christopher Walken, and then that that's when you get this performance and, that, and not to diminish the the acting of Dennis Hopper but it's Christopher Walken had to work harder to establish something within that time frame of, you know because Dennis Hopper character. had other scenes to establish his character with Clarence okay so like he had more time to kind of fall into character he kind of knew where he was already whatever happens to Vincenzo we don't see him again okay they, he sends his goon okay. squ- because he's he's too he's too high, high up, up high up to to make that trip to L.A. Okay, and he also mentions after he kills Dennis Hopper, like I haven't killed someone in like ten years That's or something. Right. That's right. Um, he kills him himself because of what Dennis says. It yeah, gets, it, 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 it gets, gets to, him. to his core. And um, so the only two improvised words in that entire exchange were eggplant and cantaloupe. Okay. And we'll leave it at that because if you know the scene, you know the scene, and um, it's very quotable. Not quotes that we're going to be sharing on here, but um, it's the scene. Like, I mean, it's it's just that good that like I I wouldn't be surprised if it's shown in film schools as kind of like you know it's just that good, you know. Um, Shown in film schools, that could be a Molotov cocktail. Well, to, in this day, well, true. Maybe, uh, but you know, maybe a couple of years after this came out and started to get the notoriety, before mm-hmm. everything became a little too politically correct. Um, okay, we'll see. But um, I mean, I I personally think that this movie should be shown in film schools. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm kind of sitting on the fence with that. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, but it's definitely, you learn a lot. If you know anything about filmmaking, you can sink your teeth into this even more. And, yeah. It's kind so, of like looking at all the decisions that were made along the way. Um, which we're doing. So I listened to the Tony Scott commentary for this entire movie. I listened to part of the Christian Slater and uh, Arquette commentary um, and I couldn't get into the Tarantino commentary for reasons that I've discussed with Andrew and we'll just leave it at that <laughs> yeah I'm not saying anything no you don't have to say anything um, <laughs> but I do I do think that if you are a student of film that pick up the set that I have because you whether or not it interests you or not you're gonna get uh, kind of like 
a film school kind of uh, master class from Tony Scott, uh, who, at like I said at the time, was spending two hours every morning storyboarding um, his movie, and the storyboards are included on the DVD, and you get three commentaries, and you get a rare, and I say rare commentary from Tarantino because I've, over the course of my many years on this planet, have owned pretty much every Tarantino movie on DVD or Blu-ray, and I can't think of a single one of his own written and directed movies that he's done a commentary for. Mm. There's a full commentary for True Romance, and then the only other commentary that I know of is from Dust Till Dawn. He does the commentary with Robert Rodriguez, and again, I think he pops up on the Sin City commentary because he ghost-directed a scene in um, Sin City. Um, so I think he pops up in that commentary. But I, I, I don't think he's ever done a commentary for one of his own movies. Um, so do with that information what, okay. <laughs> with what you will. Um, should we talk about the climax of this movie where it all comes to a head? Or do yeah, we have other stuff? Down? Yeah, do we sure. have other stuff to talk about? No, I mean it's 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 hilarious when when the mob and the cops are having a Mexican standoff in the hotel room where the deal is being made to sell the coke with the famous movie director and everybody else in our cast. Except, I mean. Dick Ritchie isn't there, is he? Please. Yes, he is. Oh, does he die? No, he gets away. He does get away. You don't remember that? You could, there's one scene of him booking ass down the hallway. Sweet. Dick Ritchie gets I'm so away. Glad. I'm the so only glad. other people that aren't the, uh, Floyd's not there because he's still stoned on the couch. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sometimes being a stoner pays off. Uh, <laughs> but I am so glad to hear that because Michael Rapaport is. Um, a wonderful breath of fresh air on the screen. I've always liked him. I remember him in Go. Go is right. a fun flick, and that's a cult flick that we will probably do at some point. Uh, he's he's a he's a ray of sunshine in this movie, and I'm glad to hear that he does actually get away. Yes, but the rest, it's like and something rotten, something is rotten in the state of Denmark is said twice yes. in this movie. The end is basically Hamlet. Everybody dies. Mm -hmm. That's how Hamlet ends. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the connection right there. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, and it's hilarious that these two gangs, basically, I mean, yeah. cops can be a gang. Sure. Um, are just you know duking it out with each other with guns. So and then you've you've got the cast in between, right? Like hiding behind couches and shit, and the couches explode and the gunshots. So there's feathers everywhere. So one of the critiques that is often was often thrown Tarantino's way was that he he stole the idea of a Mexican standoff from John Woo films or oh, something. Okay. Um, but at the time that this was written, um, he uh, he claims to have never seen those movies or anything like that. Oh, but he's also shit. he worked at a uh, video store. But he's also not claiming to have like. I'm the man that came up with the Mexican standoff oh, idea. He's okay. never, okay. like, done that. He said it pretty much... It's kind of the way with music. Like, 
whatever kind of new music you're putting out now is somewhat reminiscent of music that everything's derivative everything yeah nothing's new anymore i know he said like the idea of a mexican standoff belongs to me as as much as it belongs to anybody else okay so it's a great it's a great moment for for the finale of this film it's like no way and (laughs) whereas reservoir dogs has i think three or four people at the end of the Mexican standoff. Okay. We have the mafia with about, I don't know, maybe a dozen people. We have the cops, probably about half a dozen people. And then we've got the director's bodyguards slash... He has two bodyguards who, for whatever reason, have, like, machine guns. Yeah. Yeah. And, (laughs) And they're like, um... Um, yeah, they're patting down everyone. He goes, well, you don't have to pat me down. I've got a gun. He's like, oh, this, guy, this guy's got a gun. And he's like, ah, it's fine. It's fine. Make, yeah. make Pete everyone some coffee or yeah, something. Yeah, they're yeah, relax, relax. Yeah. We're just doing a huge cocaine deal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we get, yeah. Um, the mafia comes in first. Yes, the mafia comes in first. And then the cops come in, and then Bronson Pinchot's character is the 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 powder keg that sets off this shootout because he's wired. Because he's wired by the cops. But not only is he wired, he starts telling, he starts go asking the cop by name, like Officer Ba Ba Ba, Officer Ba Ba Ba, like, can I go? Oh, and the producer looks oh. over at him. He's like, "How do you know?" Yeah, director. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. he's just like, he's, "You set me up, dude. You're my assistant." Yeah, and you set me up. You, yeah. yeah. I took you under my wing. And then, shit actor, or maybe he doesn't say that, but I mean, but you know. he's trying to defuse the situation, and he's even telling his bodyguards, he's like, "Put down the guns, like just put yeah. down the guns." Yeah. And Bronson Pinchot is we- he's we- <laughs> he's wearing like I don't know, it's like a white cashmere sweater that's like draped around his shoulders and tied in the front, you know, that preppy look that we that we had in the eighties, the yeah. preps, the preps. That's what he's doing, yeah. But um, yeah, but like his bodyguards are like, "There's one thing I didn't tell you, Lee." I fucking hate cops. No. They're just like, oh, this is not going to end well. No. So then everybody gets shot. Yeah. And it should, we should note and that... And at some point, what, Patricia does Chris Penn in. Yes. She, at the very end. I think he's the last body to go down, and she's just has... So she's like, Clarence is in the bathroom talking to his mentor. Well, we haven't even talked about the mentor. We need to talk about the yeah, mentor. Yeah, he's in the bathroom talking to his mentor, not hearing all the gunshots going on. That's and then another he, suspension of disbelief. Yeah, because then you he cut notched, to him in the bathroom talking to his mentor. <laughs> you don't hear any gunshots. I mean, it's not that, you know, it's not it's not that nice of a hotel. You know what I mean? They didn't yeah. sound, it's not military. And they then he kind of, soundproof everything. He nonchalantly walks out of the, the bathroom and gets shot. Yeah, okay. Oh, that how it goes down. Okay. Um, so is this a good time to segue into Mentor? Are we done talking about the shootout? Yeah, the shootout pretty much ends with everybody getting shot. Yeah. So let's and segue like, into... Everybody, well, Dick Ritchie gets out, Clarence is shot, and then whether... Patricia, Alabama survives. She survives. In both versions, and both endings, whether Clarence dies or not, she does survive. Yes. And at the end, she's, while the cops, you know, while 
the whole hotel is being stormed by by cops and whatnot. It's either her and Clarence escaping with the cash or her just her escaping with the cash. And then she has this like really beautiful bittersweet monologue in the ending where he dies. Yeah. Yeah, it's 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 really well done. And there actually is cartoon, there is comic book uh images interspersed with uh the ending where Clarence dies and she's talking because those comic strip images shows her putting a gun to her mouth. mouth yeah, and contemplating just... And, yeah, and the next time you see that, there are actually little red arrows that are pulling the, the gun away. Right. And so we have her... not to. And we have her talking about how... Ang- she's very... It's it's bittersweet, but it's a beautiful mo- uh, mo- inner monologue of her kind of getting, like, just angry at Clarence for dying. Oh, yeah, she's like, she's like you she's wanted like, everything. What do you have now? You don't have me, you don't have the money, and you don't even have your own body. Yeah. And then she ditches the car and starts hitchhiking. It's so, almost like, do I dare I was thinking the same thing. It's I'm like, almost oh, like no. showgirls at Is the Is she going to hitchhike to Vegas and then become a star and goddess? Yeah, I see, I see how your head is twitching. That's too much for you to even wrap your head around. That would have been... <laughs> That might be the movie I need to see now. I might. We could. I mean, it's around the same time once again. She's got a good stripper name too, Alabama. Yeah, everyone wants to see Alabama. Yeah, we uh, we might be reading too much into. The, well, that, that's the, that's the alternate ending. Okay. Yeah. And, and but in the the theatrical ending, Tony Scott's ending, um, they both live and they have their. They make it to Mexico. Yep. Living on the beach with their child. With, with their, their son. child. Yeah. Um, at this point, I do kind of want to quickly talk about the ending for Natural Born Killers and okay. the alternate ending for Natural Born okay, Killers. Go for it. Um, original ending for Natural Born Killers is after the prison riot, Mickey and Mallory get away with um, it's, and then finally when they escape, it's just the two of them and then Robert Downey Jr.'s reporter is with them, and. They kill Robert Downey Jr., and then the next scene is them kind of like in this RV driving with a bunch of kids, and um, they've moved on happily. Like they, they family, got family life. <laughs> that's the alternate ending, or is no? That, that's that's, that's the, the original ending. Yes. Okay. Alternate ending is at some point Robert Downey Jr.'s character gets killed, but. Over the course of the prison escape, they they end up with this other prisoner who um, who comes along, but they escape with them. And the three of them escape. And it turns out that he is the angel of death, and he kills both of them. Whoa. So that must have been Tarantino's original. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. Hey, wow. I, I dig it, and I kind of, I get it. I I'll get show where he's going. Okay. I get where he's going with both endings, having them die. So I get it. It, it's and, it, and it, as I said, with true romance, it, in a lot of ways, it's more satisfying to see the alternate ending for me. Sure, mm-hmm. but I think, um, and I, I, I kind of share um, Tarantino's kind of opinion on it. He's like, for the movie that Tony shot, it I, was better to was have better. them live, have them both live. Right. Okay. And he just said, just because, you know, to, over the course of all. Of, of filming, he's just like I fell in love with these characters. I don't want to see them die. That's not reason enough. You gotta stay true to the, you know, to the, 
to the actual material. True. But I mean, all right, but he would, he would. So yeah. it was a combination. Yeah, they kind of yeah, Tarantino kind of came around to to seeing what his point of view was. Okay. But then again, if you ask Tarantino about natural born killers, he'll say that like nothing that he wrote made it to the actually made it into the movie. Um it's just very like I said, he only gets the story by credit. He doesn't even get a screenwriting credit. So, like, story by could be, like, he wrote a paragraph. Like, yeah, a treatment. Uh, but I'm guessing that it, this story was probably part of that on-the-road yeah. um, sure. magnum opus yeah, that, uh, right? that we never got to see. Um, so, okay, can we move on to Mentor? Let's talk about Mentor. Let's talk about Mentor. Go ahead. So, uh, Val Kilmer initially w- uh, wanted to play Clarence. And um, talked to to Tony Scott uh, about it, and um, Tony Scott had already—I don't know if he had already cast Christian Slater, but um, he said that he received a tape of, of Val doing like a scene as Clarence. He said it was great, um, but that um, he wanted to go with Christian Slater, so he offered the role of mentor now okay and also I would just want to mention that like somewhere along the way I read that uh, Steve Buscemi was wanted by someone instead of uh, Christian Slater as the lead <laughs> which would have changed things considerably that's a different story I was actually going to get to that okay so let's, well, let's finish up both. okay go ahead let's finish this up before I get into that that juicy that's a juicy story okay um so Tony Scott decided that he wanted to go with Christian Slater. This is one of my favorite Christian Slater performances. It's good. It's very good. And one of the things I, I hear a lot about people that criticize Christian Slater is that he's kind of doing a Jack Nicholson impression. Yeah, it's not so much here. Not so much here at no. all. Yeah, it's it's very and I'm thinking so the story with Tony is that the the opening scene of this movie of of him was actually the first scene that they shot was um, was Christian Slater he's at this bar and he's talking to this girl yeah and they were talking about how they both would fuck Elvis yeah um Tony Scott was not happy with it he was just like the first day of shooting he's just like I'm over here on the left Christian's over here on the right and he he, he said so that night he said please watch Taxi Driver and focus on Travis Bickle Mm -hmm. and he Christian Slater did and he clicked and now we kind of get the the performance that we have here in True Romance Mm. and to to the point I don't know if this was a conscious decision there are several scenes in in Detroit before they go to California because he wouldn't be wearing this he's wearing like a green like army jacket Mm mm-hmm which is very Travis Bickle. Mm, okay. So, um, yeah. So that's where they kind of they, that's where they kind of found their groove as a um, as as a director and actor, like finding this little the, the Travis Bickle mm-hmm. in that character. It worked. Yeah, he he got it. He got it. It's there. You can see it inside. So. So he's like, I. So he's like, I. I offered the role of mentor to Val, and Val Kilmer like went full Elvis for like three months. He right, put surprise. on. He put on weight. <laughs> he did a screen test for the hair and the, the, the glasses. Actor. Yeah, and the um, 
the outfits and everything. And in Val's own words, he looked like a drag queen. With the makeup on. When they made him when they made him up as Elvis. Yeah. Yeah. And they both kind of they both kind of said, Well, you are Elvis, but nobody can play Elvis but Elvis. And I would agree with it, except that we just saw Bubba Hotep and Bruce Campbell did a pretty damn good old Elvis. Mm-hmm. So. Kurt Russell did a good job too. That's true. And don't they, isn't who's playing him now? Tom Hanks. Is Am it? I right? I oh think so. God, I hope not. I think that's what's happening next. That's frightening. It's a Baz Luhrmann movie too. Mm. Okay, I'm so. more looking forward to the Weird Al Yankovic, uh, but uh, pick that's coming out. He's made a movie? No, they're, they are making a movie about his life. Oh, that's why people have been talking about him. I'm like, why are people talking about Weird Al Yankovic? Okay, go ahead. So go ahead about Mentor. Right. So, so they decided, since he looked like a drag queen with the makeup on, they decided not to shoot the face. Correct. Except that, I, as I showed you, if you go into IMDb, yeah, the you first, see a picture of him the first image that comes up, like if you scroll down past like the cast and all that, to, it would just be like screenshots from the movie. One of the first images that comes up is Val Kilmer as Elvis, is and you Val see Kilmer. his face. Yeah, he's you got see his sunglasses face. on. He's lighting a, cigarette. lighting a cigarette. Yeah, you never so, see that in the movie. So there's a lot of talk about Elvis in this movie, and I guess the problem that they came up against was if they used the likeness of Elvis that that could cause issues with the Presley estate. Okay. So... I mean, how many, it hasn't it been done 300,000 zillion times before, but okay. Or maybe they just didn't want to dish out the money to get to be able okay. to do the... But for whatever reason, we only see the mentor neck down. Yep. Voice, mostly voice. Yep. Um, and a couple scenes where Clarence is just like in the bathroom talking. He's just talking, and his mentor is Elvis. Yep. They never say that it's Elvis. But and he's he's helping Clarence. Oh yeah. Clarence needs that support. He does. And he gets it. And he get. I like yeah. Clarence. Always have. Always will. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, it's a very much a father figure. It's ve- yeah. Well, probably a replacement father for the Dennis Hopper. Well, the character. way he talks up, the way that he talks up. Elvis, yeah, you know, like that's yeah. I, I, I kind of get that feeling, and the way that they kind of like it, it's it's actually a lot of the history between him and his father kind of are uh, it's kind of you know it comes up in the dialogue. Clarence talks about how like his dad was had a problem with alcohol mm-hmm. and was distant, and mm-hmm. like mom when mom left you, and like and everyone else was saying these things about you. I never did. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it kind of seems that like Clarence, which we sh- we probably should have mentioned this earlier in our podcast. This is what Tarantino says is the most autobiographical autobiographical of his movies because absentee father, okay, nerdy loner, okay. didn't work at a comic book store, but he worked at a video store, okay, just that kind of thing, mm-hmm. just the sure. kind of. The kind of guy that would go see uh, what are those three kung fu movies, which is what Clarence does at the beginning of True Romance. Yep. Okay. Uh, Street meets, Fighter. Meets Alabama. Yep. Street Fighter. Son of Street Fighter. Sister Street Fighter. I, okay. I'm mixing up the Street Fighter movies, but so like there's he said there's a lot of him in that. Okay. Except, Absolutely. Except he said sadly enough I never had a girlfriend. And I'm, I'm gonna n- say that's that's the part that he wishes. <laughs> was autobiographical. And I never found, you know, I never found a suitcase full of cocaine. Yeah. Um, 
But it is that point in the podcast where... We're time to wrap it up. So, yeah, there's so much to talk about with this movie, but we hope that we offered some of our own insights and some of the, the behind-the-scenes stuff we could have... We could keep talking, but I think we did a good job of kind of hitting the real high notes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's an epic story. It's an epic love story, basically. Oh, and that reminds me of the quote that I'm going to read. Oh, terrific. And we're not quite done because I do have some interesting trivia. Just uh, start to wrap things up with this, this very telling quote from Mr. Quentin Tarantino. People have asked me, so would you ever do a romance in the movie? Like, that's so not what I would do. Well, I did a romantic movie. True romance. No, no, no. I mean, like, a real romantic movie. Well, that is a real romantic movie. It is. No, like one without violence. Well, there'll be a lot of things in any movie that I do that will be contradictory, but anybody who's a fan of the movie can tell you the title, True Romance, is not ironic. This is True Romance. Mm. Indeed. It had another name for a while. A weird name. Did it? I can't remember. Yeah. Well, my best friend's birthday was an amateur film that Quentin Tarantino was directing in like 87, 88. He was kind of like making with his friends on weekends. That has a lot of kind of some of the plot elements and some of the dialogue from that movie made it into true romance. Oh, that's very interesting. Okay. Um, All right. I believe that. The, the my best friend's birthday party one of the either my best friend or the person throwing the party is named Clarence so like that whole name came and a lot of the first I guess a lot of the first third of this movie was very reminiscent of uh, my best friend's birthday party mm. um, the tagline that they had thrown onto this when it was still when the um, script was being sent around to different studios was when you're tired of relationships, try a romance. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and, um... Oh, the juicy story. Yeah. So, uh... Notorious, icky person, Harvey Weinstein, thought Christian Slater was too good-looking to play the part of Clarence and suggested someone like Steve Buscemi... Apparently, this alone got him fired from Warner Brothers. I don't know if that's true or not. It can happen based on something like that. Have you seen... You've seen The Player. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. it can happen. So, um, and then, yeah, uh, Weinstein went up to Tarantino and was like, no, you shouldn't work with Warner Brothers ever again. Come work with the Weinsteins and... It paid off. Mm-hmm, it paid off. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, it didn't... Uh, yeah, the less said about uh, Mr. Weinstein, the better. But um, I think that's a very interesting... Um, it is. Uh, my favorite fun fact about this movie, this is Quentin Tarantino's mom's favorite movie of his. And that's, uh, that, that should tell you quite a bit. That should tell you a lot. That speaks volumes. Yeah. So I, I'm in agreement with his mom. I am And so too. are you. Yeah. We should hang out with his mom. Instead of him, <laughs> like he would, like he would even entertain the idea of having having a a dinner with him, but um, yeah, like I said, this is one of my favorite movies. But um, 
Yeah, it's a very interesting to that this movie's kind of like right in the middle of Tony Scott's filmography. And like I said, he would go on to make some very highly visual movies. Not that his other movies aren't highly visual, but just like the way that it's it's very heightened, it's very saturated colors, uh, rapid editing. Um, this was back when... Um, I, I'm glad that this movie was made during this phase of his career because the scenes get to breathe. You need the kind of dialogue, especially, like, I, I can't imagine that scene between Walken and Dennis Hopper having, like, rapid-style editing. Like, it just wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. but, you know, and I thought through this movie, I thought this is an unending soundtrack. You either have songs by bands or you've got uh, a score playing. But there's always music. Right. But then it does get quiet for certain scenes. It does. And so that is... Those are strategically placed. And it gets quiet, but then the, the music starts... It creeps in kind of slowly in the background. Uh, because originally, that, that scene that we were just talking between Walken and Hopper was not going to have any music in it. And it does toward the end? It does towards the end, and it's very subdued. It's very kind of low in the mix. Okay. Um, and it's appropriate to the scene? It's appropriate it's to the scene. No. Okay. Um, Okay. Like I said, the only the only music that I found distracting from this mo movie was the um, particularly the Aerosmith song. Okay. Um, just because I know it's just like Tarant Tarantino wouldn't have let let's, that play. Let's not repeat ourselves. Let's start wrapping up this episode. If you don't. Am mind. I repeating myself? <laughs> yes. Okay. You already said all that. Oh <laughs> man. <laughs> Tapioca. Oh. That's supposed oops. to be our, our safe word or something. <laughs> <laughs> For you listeners, tapioca is not the safe word. <laughs> Um, anyway, any final thoughts on True Romance? I, I just, if you haven't seen it, watch it. If you're listening to this and you haven't seen it, watch it. If you're listening to this and you haven't seen it in a while, rewatch it. Rewatch it with some people that haven't seen it before and kind of um, mm -hmm. give them a dose of early classic Tarantino and um, Mr. Tony Scott, like I said, one of my favorite directors, just at the the top of his form, um, and uh, I really can't say enough. I think we've we've kissed this movie's ass for a good hour and a half. Pretty we've much licked its taint. Yeah, and, um, stop. <laughs> I can't believe you just said that. All right, <laughs> we've suckled on I mean, the nipples. <laughs> I mean, considering what's said in this movie, <laughs> I mean, it's, yeah, yeah, this it's, is nothing. <laughs> but if you want to see a movie that pretty much has, like, every name 90s actor in it, like, this is, um, yeah, if, you, or if you're ever playing those games of, like, Six Degrees of, I think True Romance is a forgotten one, because you've got... Uh, Don't go through the whole cast. Are you going to go through the whole cast? No, I was just going to say, you've got so... You don't have Kevin Bacon in it. No, but but there's links to Kevin. You can easily do yeah, the yeah, links yeah. to Kevin no, Bacon. I'm just going to say, you have it probably like a dozen big-time big, big yeah. time people here. Yes. I'm not going to go through the cast again. Okay, okay. Well, you were about to. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I think it's that time in the day. Um, wrap it up. Wrap, wrap it up. up. Wrap it up. Enough, Chris. You've, you've said it all. You've said are, too where much. Are we, where are we going at now? What's uh, the time? We're, we're well over an hour and a half. Yeah. 
but we're we're shot we're still shy of um the two hour true romance but i i don't really think there's i think we've said we don't need to stretch this out to the two hours of true romance screen time so um (laughs) it does go by fast for two hours it does Mm -hmm. it's it does not feel Mm -hmm. like a two-hour movie Mm -hmm. it is beautifully uh paced Mm-hmm. And um, it's a linear story, um, and it's just it's just such a feast to lay your eyes on, right? And to listen to as well. But really, just the way it looks, I can't get over it. Oh, I it really looks amazing! Can't. These yeah. shots they they yeah. shot um, on location in Detroit for a couple of the scenes, mm-hmm. the exteriors, mm-hmm. and um, then it was shot um, in California mm-hmm. for the rest of it, and. Mm-hmm. You get the dreary, you get the dreary mm-hmm. Detroit. You get the bright California mm-hmm. sunshine. Yeah, that's that, um, that's very effective when they finally get there. And then you uh, and it, you feel like they're in their element because they're so uh, larger than life in the way they dress and, and act. And Clarence in Alabama and the way they look. And then all of a sudden they're in LA and you're like, yes, this is where they should have been all this time. So I ha- I have two bits of trivia that I want to to throw out there to end the episode. Okay. First bit of trivia. For the tattoo scene, that Clarence in Alabama getting the tattoo, mm-hmm. they actually hired a woman to get that actual tattoo on her tuchus for realsy reels for the movie. Oh, well, that's cool. So I mean, you know, that's for someone who's into it, you know, yeah, I got this tat for, uh, for True Romance. That's me. But then she okay. said, she, uh, about three years later, she started to regret it because her boyfriend at the time didn't like that, like she had Clarence tattooed on. Her. <laughs> it's a fictional character. It's a, yeah, right. You can't get mad at. You can't. Don't worry about competing. He's with him. dead anyway. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> What's the alternate ending? He dies. <laughs> um, what was the second one I was gonna make? Oh, what I absolutely one of the things that I learned listening to the Tony Scott commentary is that. And one part of the reasons why this movie does fly by is that he was always looking at scenes like two people talking on the phone. He's like, those are so boring to shoot. So we have a scene where there's two people talking on the phone, but one guy's driving down the California highway having some road rage. We got the producer yeah. getting upset. Yeah. And we have like um, the other, they're at the. Um, the roller coaster ride. He always looked for those kinds of scenes, like to to well, be like same thing with the two of them in the phone booth with Michael Rapaport on right. the, sitting on the pot, like yeah. you know, yeah. He's he was always looking, and and I think that's the sign of a good director. He's like, okay, like I got this great dialogue, but like it seems like there's so many cliche ways that we could show it. Let's put Michael Rapaport on the toilet talking yeah. on the phone. Yeah. Let's have the two of them like base, sex base in the, sex yeah. in the phone booth. Yeah. Or let's the, one of the characters is on the phone, but okay, he's driving his car using a car phone and he's flipping off other drivers. Yeah. Like that's the kind of thing. That's the kind of thing that he brought to this great script. This is my favorite Tarantino script, and Tony Scott just like he was just like. Home run. Yeah. Just knocked it out of the park. Uh-huh. Um, just an absolutely brilliant movie. And like I said, this was a t- this is a top ten Desert Island movie for me. Well, I think we... we... Wrap it up. Wrap okay. it up. So, we thank you so much for listening <laughs> to us on the Cult Film Companion Podcast. Uh, we are available on Acast, iHeartRadio, Newsly, as I mentioned, in Google Podcasts. 
Twitter at Cult Film Comp. Interact with us. Show us some love. We'll show you some love back. Uh, join the Facebook page and shoot us an email or find us on Instagram. And um, we wish you all a fond farewell. Farewell. I don't know. Good night.